Reading from Matthew 9, verses 9 through 13. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the righteous, not, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. You may be seated. Goodness. <clears throat> well, good morning. It's good to see uh, all of you. I know many of us weren't here last week, and I don't say that with any judgment, just because it was incredibly cold, and a lot of us are sick. I'm sick right now, if you can't tell. Um, but uh, I'm glad that we're here. I'm glad that we're all back. And this is an odd way to start a sermon, and I feel weird doing it, but I'm going to do it anyway. If you weren't here last week, you really ought to grab a CD or go on the website and listen to the sermon from last week. Uh, just because the series that we've started, Eating with Jesus, uh, the last week's sermon, which I happened to preach, but that's not why I'm telling you, <clears throat> truly, uh, you, should, you should go and listen to last week's sermon because it's going to cover some ground that I don't have time to get to today, but will help make sense of everything we're going to talk about for the next five weeks. So I do encourage you to, uh, to do that and to, to go and, and listen to last week's sermon. Not right now because I'm about to preach another one. <clears throat> And so this is our second week in the Eating with Jesus series, uh, and it's, it's fairly straightforward. We're looking at different stories in the Gospels of when Jesus ate with people, and there's a lot to choose from because it turns out that Jesus loved uh, food and Jesus loved eating with people. And part of why I find that so fascinating is also because I love food, and I think most of us love food, but also because it tells us a lot about who Jesus was it tells us a lot about the tone or the shape that our faith is supposed to take. Over and over again, Jesus compares the kingdom of God to a meal or the sharing of a meal. And that means something, and that's incredibly significant. And so these weeks, we're kind of unpacking that and looking at different angles of that reality. And our hope is that Calvary, the whole Calvary family, will follow Jesus in the practice of eating with people uh, throughout 2019 and experience Jesus' presence and power in the sharing of meals in new and deeper ways. And again, if you want more details about that, you really ought to go listen to last week's sermon. For the next five weeks, until the beginning of March, our encouragement for the church family is just to establish the practice of eating dinner as a household. And I know many of us already do that. Many of us, or some of us, may be used to and have fallen off of that for various reasons, some of us live alone and so don't really have a, another person to eat with in our households, but our encouragement there is to, to try and, if you don't, establish the practice of eating uh, together as a household at least one night a week. And as we move on through the year, there will be other things uh, that we, we invite the church family into. And as you have opportunity, dedicate that meal, your weekly meal, uh, to prayer and asking the Lord which people 
you can invite over later on in the year when we get to those uh, stages. Last week, we looked at a story of Jesus being invited over to a Pharisee's house for dinner in Luke 14. And the Pharisees were these important and powerful religious figures. They didn't have any official role in the Jewish religion, but they had a lot of influence in, at, in the local levels. And in these villages and towns, they were generally kind of the elite, the cream of the crop kind of guys. This week, Jesus eats with the other end of the social spectrum, the bottom of the barrel, the folks who normally don't uh, show up for church on Sunday morning, the tax collectors and the sinners. And our sermon summary for this morning is this. At Jesus' table, reservations are made by repentance, not righteousness. At Jesus' table, reservations are made by repentance and not righteousness. When our passage begins in the middle of Luke chapter 9, Jesus has just returned from across the Sea of Galilee to the city of Capernaum, and he heals a paralyzed man. Not only does he heal this man of his paralysis, but he declares that his sins are forgiven. Part of what's important for, for Matthew, to Matthew, for us to see, is that Jesus isn't just talking about the kingdom of God. Other people had done that. John the Baptist did that. Jesus isn't just talking about the kingdom of God in a very real way. He is the kingdom of God. He is the good and wise rule of the creator uh, coming and changing people's lives and the situations that they find themselves in. It tells us that the crowds react in awe and they praise God for what is happening through this man, Jesus. And it's then, after this, that Jesus walks by or walks up to Matthew's tax collector booth and changes his life. Now, last week we talked a little bit about the, just the parables of Jesus, and we had a handy graph. I forgot to put it on this PowerPoint, so it won't be there. You'll just take my word for it. So about a little under half the time when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he compared it to food, uh, sharing food, or cultivating food. And so obviously, you know, there was a major category that he thought about God's kingdom. Uh, the kingdom is like a dinner, and any dinner where Jesus is, where Jesus is present, is like the kingdom. And what we find in this story in Matthew 9 with the tax collectors and sinners is that these people who are supposed to be the bad guys, who are supposed to be furthest away from God, are actually right there in the center of the party. And it's the religious folks, the good guys, who are wandering around the edges, wondering what in the world is happening in there. At Jesus' table, reservations are made by repentance and not righteousness. Now let's back up a bit and talk about Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector whom everyone probably hates. His job is to collect money, to tax maybe goods or travelers, it's unclear, that are moving from one region to another, sort of like an ancient toll booth. No one particularly likes tax collectors in any century, uh, but in first century Palestine, the hatred towards Matthew and his colleagues was particularly fierce because tax collectors were considered to be traitors to their own people. He was collecting money from the Jews, from the Jewish people, and funding the evil governments and evil empires that were ruling over their land and oppressing them. Ancient rabbis compared tax collectors to bandits. And since they were in constant contact with Gentiles, with non-Jewish people, the Romans and whatnot, uh, who are always ceremonially unclean, ceremonially unclean tax collectors were, all, were also ceremonially unclean. And the point of all that is, if you were to ask, if we were to poll the residents of Capernaum, 
who is included in God's kingdom, Matthew's name would probably be at the bottom of the list. Fortunately for Matthew, Jesus is more than willing to meet him there at the bottom of the list. Had Matthew heard what Jesus told the paralyzed man? Had Matthew heard Jesus pronounce forgiveness over him? Had he looked down at the bags of coins, little bits of livelihood which he had ripped from his neighbor's hands and realized that he needed a way out? It seems that he did, because as soon as Jesus says the word, Matthew is ready to go. And Jesus' invitation for Matthew to follow him was not simply about coming back to the house for dinner. Jesus did mean it literally, come with me, we're going to go do something. But he also made it in a wider, meant it in a wider sense. To follow a rabbi was to take his teaching, his practices, his manner and craft of life, and to make it your own. In some ways, it was to become like them. Jesus is bringing God's kingdom. He is participating in heaven's reconquest of earth. And he commands Matthew, tax collector, traitor, human slime, to join him in that. It's amazing. Jesus eats with people. Jesus mixes with people that you would never expect him to. And Jesus commands Matthew to be his disciple, to follow him. And what do they immediately go do? They go and they eat. They get a bunch of people together and they have a party. Jesus' disciples, which makes sense, but also a whole crowd of tax collectors and sinners. Now for the ancient Jews, a sinner was someone whose sin, whose wrongdoing, was publicly known. You could look at them and say, oh yes, well that's the person who, you know, I don't know, lit somebody on fire or whatever it happens to be, they're a sinner. It was somebody who acted against the well-being of the community. It was somebody who had failed to live up to the strict standards set by the Pharisees. And it turns out that tax collectors were guilty on all three of those counts. And the Pharisees somehow catch wind that someone somewhere is having a good time, and so they show up to this party at the house and are shocked, disgusted, appalled that Jesus is eating with these people. And I think there are at least two problems that they have with this dinner that I think it's worth to point out. The first is the significance in the ancient world of, of eating with someone, of what it meant to, to share a meal. Sharing a meal is a sacred and intimate thing. A meal associates you with that person. And I think that we kind of carry the same, uh, the same meaning with meals, right? And for each of us, maybe this isn't true for you, it's true for me, for each of us there's people that we uh, like to be associated with, and there's people in our lives that we don't really want to be publicly associated with. Running into them on the street is fine, because that's nobody's fault, but if you're caught at dinner with these people, then oh my gosh, now they've, you know, whatever, associated me with so-and-so. This sense of association was heightened for Jews because they believed that meals were holy things. The Bible begins talking about eating on the first page. And in a sense, God's blessing on the humans, I give you all the seed-bearing plants for food, is an invitation to a feast. And it's very telling and interesting that the sin that wrecked the universe involved eating something that we weren't invited to take. And in the Jewish law, Israel's relationship to God was demonstrated in the sacred meals of the sacrifices. Jews were marked as holy by the foods they were forbidden to eat, which were many. So a meal was never just a meal. God was at work around the dinner table. And by eating with these tax collectors and sinners, Jesus is declaring that they are part of what God is up to. And that's a problem because the tax collectors are the bad guys. 
And the second problem is related to the first one, and it's this concept of clean and unclean. And very basically, and I think we could say a lot more about this, but I don't want to today, something was ritually clean for the ancient Jews, more or less if it hadn't touched anything that was unclean. And more or less, the thing that was unclean was death and the evidence of death and destruction. So things like dead bodies, obviously, mold, mildew, disease, spilt blood, non-Jewish people, and all the stuff that belonged to non-Jewish people, all of those things were in some ways associated with death, the forces of death, and could not come near God's presence in the temple. And for a really wonderful reason, the prohibition was a reminder that God is set against death and all of its works. However, it was used as a way to exclude people and to, to harm people. And tax collectors dealt with Gentiles, as I said earlier, non-Jewish people, and were therefore in a constant state of uncleanliness. They could never go to the temple because they were always unclean. The Pharisees are worried, worried may not be the right word, but they're worried that Jesus has now corrupted and uncleaned himself and his disciples and is going to inspire other people to do it too. They don't realize that God will defeat death not by avoiding it, but by plunging straight into the grave himself. So they come to Jesus and they say, what possible reason could you have to associate with these people? Don't you know what they've done? Don't you know what they are? And that question reveals that the Pharisees don't understand what it is that Jesus is doing. And they don't understand their own situation and their own standing before God. And Jesus' answer in verse 11, he kind of bundles together three interlocking ideas. The first is that all humankind is sick with sin, not just those that we could label sinners. The second is that mercy towards people is more important than doing everything right. And the third is that the gate to his kingdom is repentance, not righteousness. So Jesus says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The Pharisees ask a question about eating. How can you eat with these people? But Jesus' answer is about health. He's saying there's a bigger picture here. There's a bigger context that you need to grasp. All the Pharisees could focus on was their offense. Jesus, don't you know there are rules about this sort of thing? We have to keep these people away from God. And Jesus says, no, no, no. God has come out to be with these people. Where, where you see a table shared with sinners, I see an emergency room full of people bleeding to death. The powers of sin, death, and hell are ripping people to shreds, and you're blaming them for dripping blood on the floor? In reality, there's nothing weird about this dinner. When the doctor's in, it's the sick people that come to see him. And the truth is, these Pharisees are equally as sick with sin as the tax collectors are. And the difference is, is that Matthew and his pals know that they're sick and have come to Jesus for healing. And the metaphor breaks down, of course, and I realize the irony that I'm preaching this sermon right now while I also am sick. <clears throat> and it's interesting to think about, you know, that uh, to talk about sin like a sickness, it's like, yeah, but, you know, you're not, you don't always feel sick. You don't, you know, thinking about Clayton and I this week and how I, I was the first one who had a cold, but I think Clayton actually contracted a different illness from somebody else. <clears throat> anyway, the metaphor breaks down eventually, but I think the idea is that all of us 
are in this condition. And even when you think about the difference between Clayton and I, and I won't get into the difference in our uh, symptoms, but there were some differences. His was worse. He also got soup brought to him. I don't know where my soup is, but uh, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Anyway, uh, no, I'm totally kidding. You know who you are, and I'm totally kidding. Anyway, anyway, but really, I do, I do accept all soup donations. <clears throat> Clayton and I are both sick, but our symptoms were different, right? And I think that's where we can get confused. If everybody's sick with sin, okay, but people obviously express that in different ways and the symptoms come out in different ways. That is true. You know, some people when they're sick, they sneeze all over the place and they get it on everybody else. Other people, you can't tell. But the truth is, is that all humanity is sunk in the same situation. Jesus says next, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus quotes the prophet Hosea, who preached in a time when God's people were faithful to offer sacrifices, but their hearts were very far from God. They didn't care for the orphans, the widows, or the poor ones. They closed the gates against the Gentile nations. Hosea saw that the people had lost touch with the original purpose of the sacrifices. They were meant to be expressions of thanksgiving and repentance, but had turned into kind of empty charades of rule-following and the Pharisees were in a very similar spot. Jesus tells the Pharisees to go and learn what Hosea meant. And if they had paid attention to Jesus over the next few years, they would have. Jesus set aside the ritual rules to make room for people who never felt invited to God's feast. And of course, he didn't leave people as he found them. True love never does. Prostitutes left their, their, their profession Zealots laid down their weapons, tax collectors refunded their neighbors, not because they were rejected. They knew that already, but precisely because they were welcomed in and sat down at Jesus' table. Jesus was a friend of sinners his whole life, and he still is. And it's good for us to remember that originally that phrase, friend of sinners, wasn't a good thing. Jesus was crucified alongside two robbers, two terrorists, because as Isaiah said, he was numbered with the sinners, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the sinners. Mercy and sacrifice, these things Hosea spoke of, came together in the death of Jesus on the cross. Mercy for our sins, a sacrifice for our sins, both streams flowing from the same fountain. And lastly, Jesus says, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Well, aren't the righteous people the ones Jesus wants? Isn't that sort of the whole point of this whole thing as we get together and teach each other how to be righteous? And I think in a way, yes, he does. He wants people to be righteous. But he knows that none of the people are righteous when they start. Jesus is saying that whether someone is righteous or not, whether they're a Pharisee or a tax collector, there is one way to reserve a spot at his table, and it is not by being a good person. It is by repenting, turning from your ways, and coming to Jesus. And you think about the situation. You think about what's happening in the passage that we see. What is stopping the Pharisees from coming in and sitting down at the table and eating with them? Their own goodness, in a way, their own sense of rule following, 
they can't not, they just can't bring themselves to sit down and eat with these tax collectors and sinners because it would break the rules. If they consider themselves righteous, they won't answer his call. If they consider themselves healthy, they will not go see the doctor. Maybe not. I don't know. I don't want to put you on the spot, Lee, but I was thinking about this earlier today. Do healthy people ever just come and see you? Just to chat? All right. But there's an acknowledgement. Like nobody comes and says, hey, Lee, nothing's wrong with me and I'm never going to die. I just wanted to see your handsome face. All right. I might. I might. No, I'm not going to do that. I like you, but I can see you without having to pay for it, so I'm going to see that. (laughs) The math on this is simple. If you don't think you're sick, you're not going to go see the doctor. And I think this is hard to hear because many of us are, in fact, good people. We follow the rules. We do the right thing. We don't cheat or steal when given the opportunity. We don't cut corners. We put things away when we're done. And, I, and I'm not trying to say that Jesus doesn't think those are good things. They are, and it is good to do those things. But his dinner with Matthew shows us that our righteousness is not the thing that gets us a seat at the table. I don't know if how many of you have ever done this, probably the minority, because I think we have a lot of good cooks and bakers in this congregation, but has anybody ever mistaken uh, salt for sugar? when trying to bake something that's supposed to be sweet. Would anybody admit to that? Thank you, Carrie, for your honesty. <laughs> I also have done that, I think, just once, but, you know, because you learn. <laughs> but it happens occasionally, or I think, I think at least a few times, maybe while traveling, I've stirred uh, salt into tea rather than sugar and that sort of thing. If you ever have, or you can imagine, if you, if you haven't, that's not a mistake that remains hidden for very long. The cookies may look good, but the moment you take a bite, you've realized what you've done. And you can't ignore it, and you can't pass it off to other people and think, oh, well, maybe they won't notice. Let us for a moment compare life to cookies. You may have followed the recipe perfectly, made all your measurements exactly right, did the best with what you had, but your good deed cookies will never be acceptable. You cannot bring them to God's feast because our sin nature, this sickness, this condition that we all have, always turns the sugar into salt. Now, church, that's only bad news if you already think you're healthy and righteous and are going to get there because of the good things you've done. If you would put yourself in the good person category, and let's be honest, I think many of us would, and many of us deserve to. I mean, we're, we're, we're pretty good people over here. That's great. Jesus is still inviting you to repent. Come to him for healing, for mercy, and reserve your seat at the table. You may have been good your whole life, but it's time to set down your salty cookies, your own good works, and receive his righteousness. We see in Matthew 9 that Jesus is closest to the tax collectors and sinners while the good people are the ones at the edge of the party. And if that thought feels weird or feels wrong, that Jesus is closer to the people who are openly sinful than those of us who aren't, 
I think that just shows us we have some repenting to do. And this isn't about feeling bad about ourselves, right? And I think some of us hear the word repentance and we think, you know, tell, talking about how we're terrible and all that. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. This isn't about feeling bad about ourselves. It's also not about not acting rightly. I think it's just humbly owning the fact that no matter what we do, our cookies are always made with salt every single time. We are sinful beyond our ability to fix. That's not a big deal if we're standing firmly in the good news that Jesus has saved us, Jesus is fixing and transforming us, and Jesus will take us to be with him at his wedding feast. All we have to do is ask him for those things, is turn to him for those things. And if you resonate with Matthew, and I imagine some of us do, and in different seasons maybe, if you resonate more with Matthew, with the sinners, with knowing that you're captive to sin and wanting a way out, with the shame of others knowing the things that you've done, there's good news for you. If you know that you're not good enough, that you see the damage that your decisions have caused, you're sitting in the wreckage of mistakes, broken trust, or isolation, there's good news for you. Jesus sees you there. Jesus wants to be your friend. He'll eat with you. You're exactly the sort of person that Jesus loves to spend time with. You're exactly the sort of person that Jesus wants to follow him. Come to Jesus, take your seat, and receive from him all that you require. And I'll close with some of Paul's words to Timothy. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that me, in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.